to see you guys on this Christmas Sunday morning. So excited to share with you today. I told somebody a minute ago last year, I posted a picture on Facebook of my red Christmas sweater that I break out once a year, and I got a thousand likes, comments, and shares. The next week, I posted something about this magnificent sermon that I was going to preach, and I got 38. I don't know what's the significance of that, but <laughs> we are wrapping up a little series we're calling Christmas, What's the Point? And we've been talking about, yes, Jesus is the reason for the season, of course, but at the end of the day, it goes deeper than that. It really is ultimately about John 3:16. for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. He came not to condemn the world, verse 17, but to redeem it, to save it, to redeem us back to our holy God. During this series, we've looked at several different Christmas characters from that original Christmas uh, scenario. We looked at some. Pastor Luke did a great job that first week of looking at some of those who missed the point entirely, the innkeeper and the religious leaders of the day. Certainly King Herod missed the point uh, entirely and, and why they missed it. If you missed that message, I encourage you to go to the website and get it. Last week, we talked about those who got it, who really understood what it was all about, Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the wise guys and we talked a little bit about the wise men. We talked about those guys last week a little bit. Today, I want to wrap the series by talking about another character from that original Christmas uh, scenario, but one that probably isn't quite as familiar as some of the others, uh, but, but still paints a picture for us of, of what I believe will help us to make Christmas last. You know, the lights, when the lights are gone and the, and, and the music is over and, and, and the gifts are in the back of the closet because we didn't really want them. You know, all that stuff's over and over. What is it that keeps the point of Christmas going? And, and Simeon is the character we're talking about. I think something that he demonstrated in his little part of the story, middle of Luke chapter 2, helps us to get that. So let's just get into it. Luke chapter 2, verse 25, you got your Bible, you can flip there. Uh, you can go to the Bridge NC app and all of the notes are there. You can download those. You can save them to your journal, take your own notes this morning. And of course, they'll be on the website uh, this week as well. Here we go. Luke chapter 2, verse 25 through 28. It's on the screens if you don't have it on your phones or, or tablets. Here we go. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named... Okay, it's two of you are awake. There was a man named Simeon. I just want to make sure you're awake out there, guys. Uh, uh, he was righteous and devout and eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. Here's where it gets really, really cool. The Holy Spirit was upon him and revealed to him that he, what did he reveal to him? that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Now understand that Simeon and his ilk, the Jewish people, had been looking for, praying for, agonizing for the Messiah to come for 800 years plus. And now Simeon has heard through the Holy Spirit that while he's an old man, He's going to live to see the Messiah come himself. Just, just kind of get yourself in that moment and think about the reality of that. His ancestors for almost a thousand years have been waiting for this moment, and he gets to see it. Can I segue for just a minute and say we've been talking about the coming of Christ for about 2,000 years, and I wouldn't be a bit surprised if I get to see it in my lifetime. Maybe for the day's out, but that's another story. Pick it up from there. 
just want you to get in the moment. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So here he gets up in the morning, does his normal routine, and, and the Holy Spirit says, okay, Simeon, this is the day. Get up, go to the temple, be there. So when Mary and Joseph came to present baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. So get the scene, Mary and Joseph coming with the little baby. Jewish law was the babies were brought to the rabbi on the eighth day to be circumcised. And so they're following the law as good Jews. They're coming into the temple courts. And here's Simeon standing there with this sense of anticipation because I've been told Messiah's coming and I get to see him. It, it, you're, are you in the moment? Are you getting this? Are you heads like this? You're getting this? I want you to be in this moment, okay? Imagine how he must have felt when this young couple comes walking up with this baby. His heart is racing. His breath is getting short. The hair's standing up on the back of his neck and he's saying, he's the one. I just know he's the one. Now pick it up in the second part of verse 28. Here we go. He took the child in his arms, praising God, praised God, saying, now before we, before we read what he said, because I want you to get this, uh, a lot of scholars will tell us that, that, yeah, he said it, but this is in poetic form. Now, it's not European poetry or American poetry. It's not T.S. Eliot. It's not, you know, rhyming verse. It's Hebrew poetry, so it may not have the cadence that you're familiar with poetry, but, but understand that in the Hebrew world, poetry was very much a part of their lives, and they often sang their poetry. So I want you to get this picture of Simeon standing there, having been promised that he gets to see the Messiah in his lifetime, and now as an old man, he sees the baby, and the Spirit said, that's him and he breaks out spontaneously from somewhere down deep into song. And here's the song. Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace. As you have promised, I've seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He's a light to reveal God to the nations, and he's the glory of your people, Israel. That moment that I want you to capture is that moment that he sees the Messiah, and he breaks into praise and says, okay, my life is so fulfilled now, there ain't nothing else to live for. I'm done. Take me on to heaven. You've kept your promise to me. I'm ready to go into the eternity that's before me, this spontaneous, life-defining moment of worship, the, the kind of moment that does not fade from memory, the kind of moment that takes you through hard times like the year 2020, the kind of moment that keeps the point of Christmas alive even after the lights are off and the music is gone. So in the few minutes I've got with you today, I just want to, I want to give you three commitments that I'm making that I hope you'll join me in making, three commitments that I believe if you'll keep them, the point of Christmas will stay with you long after the season of Christmas has last. Is that, is, is that worth a few minutes of our time? If it's not, God bless you, go on to brunch. Uh, uh, but, uh, but if it is, stick around, okay? I think there's three things. The first simply is... I will acknowledge that I was made to worship. My first commitment is I was made to worship. Say it with me. I was made to worship. One, two, three, one more time. I was made to worship. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. God has set eternity in the hearts of men. That simply says we're born with this deep knowledge, this, this spiritual knowledge that there's got to be something more to life than ourselves. 
That there's more to life than get up, go to work, pay the bills, retire, and die. There is more to life than that. That there is something beyond us that's bigger than us. Which is why, quite frankly, every human being on the planet, regardless of their, their religious affiliation or faith, looks for those, what do you call them? The, these moments of wonder. You know what I'm talking about? Those moments of awe. These moments, whether we're talking about the miracle of birth or, or we're talking about those moments that a toddler takes his first step or, you know, just kind of those moments in life when we go, wow, that is so awesome. And the response is bigger than the event because, you know, the event is huge. Maybe it's just looking at the majesty of an, of an evening sky. But something says to you, that there is something bigger than me. Which is why worship is at the heart of keeping the point of Christmas alive. Something in us knows that Christmas has got to be more than spending too much money and eating too much food and planning the budget repair and the diet after the season. It's, there's got to be something more than that. Something in us knows that worship has to be at the center of it all. There's got to be a celebration of who he is. There has to be an acknowledgement of why he came. That's why this past Monday we had our, our, our annual staff, board of elders, board of directors, Christmas party. And we came together and, and we ate good food and, and we played some games and we heard some great music. But before it was all over, uh, it just naturally segued into worship. And we're, we just had a phenomenal time of worship. Pastor Andrew Price, our Mount Olive lead pastor, uh, prayed the benediction when he got up and he said, man, I came to a Christmas party and a worship service broke out. I mean, that's just what happens when the people of God get together, understanding that this is bigger than food and gifts and games and hey it may surprise you but but the bible is filled with with pause to party expressions if you can put it that way I mean, read, read through the book of Leviticus. You know, Leviticus is one of those books that when you're reading through the Bible, you kind of skip that one. You say, you know, I don't know, it's, you know, Numbers, Leviticus. I'll just move on to, the, to Deuteronomy or something. But Leviticus is filled with these festivals that God told Israel to have where in which the, the, the only activity was to sing, interact, and fellowship and acknowledge God. That was it. That's all they came together for. The only purpose was to deepen their relationship with God and with one another. I realize some of you workaholics struggle with this. I just got too much to do to party. I get that. But I need you to understand how seriously God takes this stuff. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 30. I like the way the message paraphrases it. He said, I will destroy from among his people anyone who works on that day. He's talking about the Sabbath. Come on, God, tell me what you really think. I mean, that's pretty blunt, isn't it? But let me tell you now, let me help you to understand, before you start thinking God's over there with a, with a lightning rod zapping everybody who works on Sunday, that's not what he's saying. That word destroy is the Hebrew word abad, and abad literally means to be utterly undone. That's, that's what it means. It means to be to lose yourself completely, to be totally undone. God's saying, I made you to worship me, and if you neglect worship, um, there's something in you that's going to die. 
if you neglect one of the things that you were made to do, perhaps the ultimate thing you were made to do, which is to worship God, then something precious will die inside of you. You are, in fact, killing yourself because we are spiritual beings. Conversely, on the other side, when you do pause to worship, when you do pause to recognize who God is, something amazing happens. John chapter 12, verse 32, Jesus said, when I am lifted up from earth, I will draw everyone to myself. You see, there's something that happens when a group of people come together and worship. Or when you're alone and you worship, Jesus said, I will draw people to myself. You find yourself having taken a major step toward having a Simeon song kind of moment that will carry Christmas throughout the year. Got it? Got it? You ready for number two? I can spend more time on that if you want. Got it? Well, three of you got it. But when I threatened to, to get longer winded or you got it, right? Number, commitment number two is worship is not just setting aside moments. Um, it's about walking with God. It's about doing life with him. So the second commitment is I will offer my life as an act of worship. I will recognize, I will acknowledge that I was made to worship, but then I will also offer my life as an act of worship. Yes, in the Old Testament, we're challenged to set aside times for worship, but in the New Testament, God said, I don't want the moments, I want it all. I gave it all, I want it all from you. Look at Romans chapter 12, verse one. We read it just the other week. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as what? living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I love the way the message paraphrases that verse. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering of worship. That says to me that the way you manage your to-do list can be an act of worship. That says to me that the way you interact with your coworkers during the week can be an act of worship. The way you deal with your subordinates at work can be an act of worship. The way you treat people at home can be an act of worship. In fact, it should be an act of worship. So think about that one for a minute and we'll move on. But what, what do you think would happen if we got really intentional about giving our everyday, walking around, ordinary life, sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and placing it before God as an offering. If we got really serious uh, about that, not just at Christmas, but every day, what might that look like? Parents, when your kids are driving you crazy, and they, you just cleaned up, and they turned right around and made a mess of the place you cleaned up, and you want some quiet, and they will not be quiet, and everything in you wants to yell and scream at them, stop. And remember that children are a gift from the Lord. Blessed is the one whose quiver is full of them. And just stop and say, thank you, Jesus, for giving me these kids. Husbands, when your wife's nagging you about something you should have done and you know you should have done it, but you just don't want to hear it, instead of developing a comeback in your mind to fire back at her, just stop and say, okay, Lord, I know, I married up. I'll be better if I listen. And besides, you told me to live my life 
in such a way as I would die for her, just like you died for the church. Thank you for giving me this woman. Wives, when your godly husband says, God's been speaking and I've been listening and praying and I really believe he's telling us to do this or this, instead of saying, you have lost your mind. There's no way because, 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 because. You say, okay, I'll join you in that prayer. Let's hear from God together and let's, let's go where the Lord's leading you. So your everyday life becomes an act of worship, frankly, whatever the relationships in your life, whether you're single or married, have kids or not, make sure this season all year long becomes an act of worship in the way you live your life and you will not forget the point of Christmas. You and I were made to worship. Stay with me. I was made to worship. Come on. I was made to worship. The best way to do that is live your life. Give your life as an offering of worship to the Lord. The third commitment then is I will offer a song in worship. I will offer a song in worship. And I realize some of you are musically inclined, and so this was an easy one for you, and you think, but that's great. Some of you are not musically inclined, and so it's a little more challenging for you. Some of you, uh, uh, some of you are musically inclined, but you're too cool to sing out in church. I, I know, and you know who you are, right? Just I'm too cool for school, so I ain't doing that, right? It's a, oh, so whatever category you fit in, I need you to understand whether you can carry a tune or not. The Bible says sing. Do I need to say that again? Well, let me, let me just see what the Bible says. Judges chapter 5 verse 3. Hear this, you kings. Listen, you rulers. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will praise the Lord, the God of Israel, in song. So yes, I was made to worship, and yes, I will give my very life as an act of worship, but I was also called to sing, and I will sing to God. Let me give you three times quickly. I'm not keeping you too long today. I just want to kind of help you seal this point for the season, but let me give you three times that we need to sing. You decide if it's helpful to you. First of all, I, I, I'm going to sing when I feel like worshiping. Can I get an Amen. At Psalm 126, verses 1, 2, and 3, when the Lord brought the prisoners back to Jerusalem, it seemed as if we were dreaming. Then we were filled with laughter, and we sang happy songs. The Lord has done great things for us, and we're glad. David is writing about the time that the Israelites have been released from Babylonian captivity, and they've come back home, and they're so excited they can't hardly breathe, and they just kind of naturally break out in song, very similar to where Simeon was when he saw the baby, knowing he'd waited all his life to see him, and there's this spontaneous song that comes up. There are times when I can't wait to get here and be with you. And Pastor Ricky goes, zoom, and here we go. We're, I can't wait because I feel like worshiping. I feel like making those expressions. I mean, those times when life is good, you're blessed, and you know it, right? You got a raise. Wah! You got the promotion. Hallelujah. She said, yes. I go. She said, yes. Right? I survived COVID. Yes. <laughs> the problem is that for many of us, we have those moments. We're just not really gifted at finding the words to express them. And that's where songwriters come in, right? I mean, some of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. There are moments when you look at your wife across the room and you just get just overwhelmed with this love for her and the sense of, I just got to tell her how I'm feeling right now. And you struggle for the words and what comes out is, 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 is uh, darling, uh, I, I love you more than Monday night football. 
And it sounded so much more romantic in your head than it did coming out of your mouth, right? You need some help forming the words, and that's where the songwriters often uh, come in because they give us the songs to express the feelings that we feel, but we're struggling to find words for them. And that's true in every aspect of your life. Kim and I, in our first year of marriage, found James Taylor's How Sweet It Is to Be Loved by You. And anytime I want Kim to know how I'm feeling toward her, I'll just very softly sing, how sweet it is to be loved by, it's my ringer on my phone when she calls. Well, it's, those are simple words, but they express what's in our hearts. Does that make sense? It's true in worship, too. We, the first time I ever heard there's, there's nothing our God can't do that we sang in the opening this morning. The first time I heard it, it was, those words were so powerful that they, they expressed what I was feeling in that moment. I thought to myself, I wish I had written that. <laughs> you know, it's kind of, oh, that is so good. There's nothing that our God can't do. There's not a mountain he can't move. Oh, praise the name that makes a way. There's nothing that our God can't do. I will believe for greater things. There's no power like the power of Jesus. Let faith arise. Let all agree. There's no power like his power. I, you know, I sing that and, and faith starts to rise up. And, and, and they're such simple words, but they express such powerful truths. Faith does arise and hope grows even in 2020 and all the things that are associated with it. But it doesn't have to be songs that are written this year. When we sang Jesus Paid It All, the first time I heard Jesus Paid It All was probably 60 years ago. And I told Jane before we came out this morning, I said, I saw the, the set list and I saw you're going to sing Jesus Paid It All. Don't be surprised if I just start boohooing like a baby over there on the front row because I know what it's going to do. It just reminds me. It brings me to tears every time. Now, not all songs you know, do that. Not all songs are, sec are, are, are spiritual songs. I heard one the other day that got stuck in my head. Do, do you ever have that happen? There's, there's one line that gets stuck in your head. I, I call it barbed wire. It's just kind of stuck and I can't get rid of it. Simply having a wonderful Christmas time. Simply having a wonderful. I'm trying to go to sleep, but I can't turn the stupid song off in my head. It's yours now. You can have it. You're stuck with it. I'm getting rid of it. But, <laughs> that's my Christmas gift to you. But here's one I want stuck, and it's not a new one. In fact, it was written 1719 by Isaac Watts. Don't tune me out. Think about the words. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature break out in song. Simple words written hundreds of years ago. All I'm trying to say is an offering in song, in worship, is one of the keys to getting the point of Christmas and keeping that point alive all year. But I said there were three times we should bring a song in worship. And let's be honest, we don't always feel like worshiping. 
I got one amen and a few quiet head nods. We don't always feel like worshiping. Christmas is this wonderful kind of time that reminds us of wonderful times and wonderful memories, but it's also that time that we remember what we've lost. It can be difficult, and we don't, so in those moments, we don't worship because we want to. We worship because we need to. Psalm 59, 16, I will sing of your strength. In the morning, I will sing of your love, for you are my fortress, my refuge in times of trouble. That's why we sing, not just because we feel like it, because we need him. Pastor Gene Apple tells the story. I heard him tell it a few years ago now. His, uh, his first marriage uh, failed. His wife decided she didn't want to be in ministry, and she left. Uh, but he, he was able to take a brief sabbatical and go back to the church that he was pastoring, large megachurch in Las Vegas, suburbs of Las Vegas, Nevada. And he tells the story about Christmas Eve services at their church uh, when he went and led multiple Christmas Eve services, 5,000 people gathered for those services that weekend. And after being in that huge crowd for that period of time and all the joy of that moment, he got in his car and he started home to an empty house. He was going to travel later to go see extended family, but for tonight, he's alone. He said he realized how hungry he was and there wasn't really any food at home because he was planning to travel the next day. And so he went looking for a place to eat and couldn't really find any place driving around Las Vegas on Christmas Eve evening looking for a place. He finally found a little diner that was open and went in and he ordered the blue plate special and he sat there feeling lonely and thinking about the juxtaposition of leading thousands versus sitting there alone. And he said, believe it or not, somebody went to the jukebox and played Elvis Presley, Are You Lonesome Tonight? <laughs> he said, I had to laugh to keep from crying as I sat there eating my blue plate special. And some of you know that feeling. I mean, he had a church family that he knew loved him. He had extended family that he knew cared about him. But in that moment, he was desperately alone. And so he went on to say, I walked through that diner filled with lonely people sitting alone, playing slot machines on Christmas Eve. I drove home alone. I did my laundry alone. I packed for my trip alone. I went to bed alone. And in that moment, I began to worship. Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so, little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Come on. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus 
loves me the Bible tells me so. Sometimes we worship because we feel like it, and sometimes we worship because we gotta. Walter Brueggemann is an Old Testament scholar, written over 100 books, uh, says this. I, in fact, I put his quote on the screens because I love it so much. He said, this kind of worship is a bold refusal to let the troubles that surround you become bigger than the God who comes to meet you there. Amen. We worship because we're made to worship. We best express our worship in the way we live our lives. Sometimes we express our worship in song because we're feeling good or because we have the need. But finally, and I'll close, the most compelling reason for me to sing, and I hope for you, is I, I sing to join the eternal chorus. And this is what keeps the point alive. I sing to join the eternal chorus. You see, the Bible says there's a day coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And in that end times, Revelation chapter 5, go home and read it in your devotional time this week to get that sealed in your head because ultimately that's a huge part of the point. It describes the scene where the 24 elders and 10,000 times 10,000 angels do the math, understand how many angels there are, and the saints of all the ages, Abraham and Jacob and Isaac and all the way back to the end times and, and John the Baptist and Peter and James and John and all the saints of all times and grandma and mama and you and me and our children that have given their lives to Jesus, we join this huge choir with the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world standing in front of us. And we sing a new song, Revelation 5, 9. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. That word nation in the Greek is, is ethnos, every ethnicity. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. Yeah, we, we, we sing now as an act of worship because we feel good. We're celebrating. We sing sometimes because we need God in the midst of our pain. But when we live in an awareness of eternity, we live knowing that when we sing, we're actually rehearsing to be in that choir. Changes everything. Changes everything. Keeping eternity in view. It helps me stay focused on the real reason for the season. I hope it will help you too. This coming Thursday, we'll gather here at 2 and 4 o'clock. We'll be online for those of you that can't make it. And we're going to sing. We're going to sing some of the Christmas songs. We're going to read the Christmas story. We're going to approach the Lord's table in communion. We're going to do a candle lighting ceremony. It's going to be a brief service. It's not long. 
But most people tell me that that Christmas Eve service kind of sets the tone for the whole Christmas weekend. That's why we're doing them early, two and four o'clock. You still got time to go have your family dinners and all the things that you do on Christmas Eve. I hope you plan to be with us in one of those services. We're just gonna come and worship, reminding ourselves that the point of Christmas it's not the meals and the gifts and all the stuff at the end of the day. It's all about I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. It's about for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. His name is Jesus. That whoever believes will not perish but have everlasting life. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for Christmas. And thank you that we can get the point of it all. We don't have to wonder what this is about. We can know. And we can define our lives by that knowledge, by that truth. So I pray right now in the quietness of this moment for everyone that's in this room, for everyone that's watching online, that you would drill the point into our hearts so that it would transcend the music and the lights and the dinners and the parties and the activities of Christmas season and go with us all year long. That you are the way. You are the bread of life. You are the gate. You are the good shepherd. You are Messiah. You are our Savior. Thank you for the privilege of knowing you, the price you paid on Calvary, in order that we can. Keep your heads bowed for just, bowed for just a moment. I won't keep you, but I do want to ask if there's any chance that any one of you sitting in this room or watching online haven't settled in your hearts those three commitments. I was made to worship God. I will give him my life as an offering of worship. And I will sing, whether I feel like it or not, as a rehearsal for the eternal choir, because I want to be there that day. Would you pray a simple prayer with me? If you've never prayed this prayer before, it's especially important. Or maybe you've prayed it, but you've kind of gotten focused in other stuff lately, and you need to come back to this God on the front burner of your life moment. Pray a simple prayer. Pray it in your own words. Some goes something like this. Jesus, thank you for coming that first Christmas. For giving up the throne of heaven. Taking on the form of a man. A man who serves. Who served all the way to death. Because you died in our place, you will be uh, risen have been risen to new life and will be risen, restored to the throne. Thank you that we can voluntarily say now, Jesus is Lord of my life. Forgive me, Lord, for those times that that's not been true in the way I live. Give me a fresh start today. Remind me of the point of Christmas. And then for all of us, Lord, before we leave this place, would you just give us the quiet assurance that you are on the throne, 
And while we do live in uncertain times and the craziness of our times and, and pandemics and epidemics and vaccines and all this stuff that's in the news media constantly, remind us that you're not surprised, you're not panicked, you're at work. And one day we'll look back and say, wow, look what God did just like you did in the Middle Ages, just like you did in the bubonic plague, just like you did in the Black Death, just like you have in times past. You're at work. We will one day see what you're doing. Today we trust you. Give us a great Christmas. Getting the point. In Jesus' name, amen.